Welcome to The Landing, the podcast that goes into the brush with foresters, contract loggers, and operators of the Pacific Northwest timber industry. Welcome back to The Landing. I'm your host, Jason Davenport. Today we want to talk with Tyler Schmunk of Circle S Timber, LLC. How are you doing today, Tyler? Doing good. How about you? I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling excited to get these podcasts rolling finally. Right on. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to me. Not a problem. So Circle S Timber, you guys, how long have you guys been in business? Like where did you get your start to be, you know, self-employed contract logger? We're uh, going into our 10th year. Um, I just grew up, you know, around the logging industry with my family's business, you know, in the tire, tire store and, you know, all the, seemed like all the loggers, uh, you know, traded with my granddad and my dad at some point. And, you know, I always, I always really liked seeing the log trucks and the equipment, you know, when I worked for the family business for a short time, that was my favorite part was going out in the brush and, you know, working for warehouses, working on the graders and backhoes and working in the log yards. We took care of all the log yards in Springfield, Cottage Grove. Um, when it was Alignment Industries, we took care of all the Alignment Industries stuff. And and I just uh, got out of high school and didn't didn't want to go into the family business. And so I worked for some little, little jippos and it got my blood and Went back and worked for my dad for a couple of years, and it just working for family. I mean, I probably don't have to tell very many people how that works. It either works or it doesn't. And yeah, I think just, uh, people with family businesses will totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah, it just it just didn't. I mean, it wasn't. You know, we we run cows and have a little bit of timber of our own, and it was you know you work all week with your dad and your brother, and then you got to come home on the weekends work with them, you know, on the ranch and shoot by Sunday afternoon, you know, you just wanted to cut somebody's throat. Yeah. He's not wanting to see those guys again on the next day. No. So yeah, I mean, I just, I was fortunate enough to work for some really, really good small Jippo loggers and, and I learned a lot of do's and don'ts and, um, so basically just started from the bottom working for some other guys. And then what made you decide that, you know, you should, what was the main, I guess, main driving factor behind your going into business for yourself? Uh, the main driving factor, I would say, you know, after a while, you know, you, you get 10 years in and working for somebody else and, you know, I know how to run a calculator and a pencil and <laughs> I was finding jobs for my, for my bosses, you know, and I just, you know, you start crunching the numbers and you're making them, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. And it, at some point I just decided I, I would rather try to go out on my own and make tens of thousands of dollars possibly than, than turn the key for somebody else, you know, and, and make them hundreds. Right. I, I figured if I could do it on a smaller scale and do what I love to do, be happy you know, make a decent living, you know, we, we don't have to drive brand new, brand new pickups and be running the, you know, brand new year every day. But, you know, if you can do it and 
and be happy doing it. I just figured I'd give it a shot. And so far it's worked out. I would imagine not without some heartache though. We have been, the Lord has blessed us immensely. We, in, in going on 10 years, we have not had any downtime um, that we didn't want to have. That's incredible, dude. And, you know, we went through the corona, the coronavirus thing, you know, 12, 14 months ago, you know, we, we got pretty skinny and, you know, we had, we had lots of logs decked up and purchase orders were suspended temporarily and we had to find other things to do and other markets to, to go chase while the, while the small log market was, was kind of in limbo. And we had, uh, you know, we have clientele that has a lot of diverse timber, you know, poles, big timber, small timber, and we were able to just go, go do something different than, than sit there and feed a small log to a local mill. And it got us through, you know, for 60 days or so and until the log market, you know, came back on and, and we were able to go back and finish up, you know, the commitments we had and the landowners we were working for were totally, totally cool. And, and they just uh, pretty much asked me, you know, just stick with us through this, you know, we're in this together. And that's what I love about working for small, small timber owners is it's more uh, personal. Yeah. I'm starting to see that with my photography business too, is like the relationships that you can build with the owner operator type of folks. Um, when things get tight, those are the people that are going to pull through for you and be there when you need them. Cause you were there when they needed you. Yeah, I mean, I had, uh, I have one client that I work for um, a couple of brothers are both in their eighties and when the coronavirus started out and, you know, things were coming to a halt. They, uh, they called me and said, Hey, you know, we don't, we don't have a, we don't have a big project like we have. And I've, I work for them every year that I've been in business. I even, they were one of my first clients. I even worked for them before I, I formed my company when, when we, we had some slack time, I went and did a couple salvage jobs for them. So I, I've actually worked for them longer than I've been in business. Oh, that's cool. But, but they came to me and said, uh, you know, we don't have a big project, but we've got, you know, we want to keep you going and we know there's a tough times and, and we, we have a little project we'd like you to come look at and see if you're interested in doing it. Well, I wasn't going to turn anything down. Yeah, right. Especially not. That. So I went and looked at it and, and it was, it was just a little, it was a little project. We were able to do it with, you know, a little cat and, and we had it self-loaded, you know, instead of moving, moving other equipment in, bigger equipment in. And, you know, we just plugged away. It was 15 or 20 loads and, and it was slow, but it was something to do. And it, it kept, it kept us going and uh, kind of got us through that slump. Speaking of your cat, you were on that for quite a while when the holiday farm fire came through. Want to kind of tell us about what that's like? That that was a ODF fire at that point, wasn't it? When you were on it, yeah, ODF ODF ordered me up for me. So it's actually uh, Justina Justina ordered me, and I believe they you know it was because they knew I was a resource on the on, through the ODF, right? But we. Uh, yeah, we spent 12 days, um, every day I was on that cat for, uh, I think my slowest day was about seven hours. That's and crazy. The very last day when they, when they demobbed us, you know, they kind of pulled us out and we, that was kind of our only, our only day. We didn't, we didn't do a whole lot except 
you know, prepare to, to demobilize and, and got the machines locked out. Got them on low boys. You know, there's five or six other little loggers and, and they walked their dozers out and bunchers and brush cutters. And, um, but yeah, we, we spent 12 days fighting the fire. We were fighting it out of the Mohawk main line um, up on warehouses. And it actually burned up to uh, the landowner I was just telling you about, the, the two old boys. That, oh, that, really? I didn't know that. That fed, that fed me that, that little bit of just kind of make work during the, during the virus, when the virus first started. So it burned right up to their line, and, and we, were really, we were really proud that we were able to keep it pretty much off of the ground. It burnt probably 150 yards into their, into their property. But it didn't burn up anything. It just pretty much cleaned up the brush for them. Because at that time, the fire kind of laid down. It was just creeping. Yeah. But yeah, we, yeah I, I wouldn't lie to you and tell you that when we started in there and saw where the fire was and saw where we had to start fighting it, you know, I, I know that ground better than I know my living room. Because yeah. I've, I've been up there all my life. And when we started fighting it, you know, we had a we had a purpose. We wanted to keep it from, from getting into their ground and, and damn sure from from getting down the Mohawk Valley, you know, I, I live in Mohawk Valley and, and we were fighting hard to make sure it didn't, it didn't get away. You know, we, we just seen how fast it came, you know, from, from rainbow, right. Uh, you know, clear, clear over Hagen Gate Creek down the Mohawk. And I mean, it was rolling and, and it, it would have been nothing for it to go another six miles to the town of Marcola. Oh, I'm a so, firm believer that if the wind hadn't to give up, that Springfield and Marcola would have both been in dire straits. Yeah, we'd have probably been putting it out on the beach. Yeah, it wouldn't have been good. Truthfully, yeah. Yeah. So I guess I kind of want to dive in more into uh, how you get signed up with the state and how that works for getting called out. So you just sign up whatever pieces of equipment that – you think you can have available during the summertime with the ODF and then when they, yeah, when they gotcha. I think what, you know, what initially got me going is, is every year right before fire season, a week, 10 days before fire season, you know, kicks off. I generally have uh, ODF come out and, and do a, a voluntary inspection. Okay. On your and fire truck and all that. On, on my trucks, my trailers, um, they inspect all the equipment, make sure fire fire extinguishers are good. And, you know, we pack, we pack five gallon, uh, scan on, on our processors and shovels. And we got a 15 gallon tank that we put behind the seat on the little grapple cat. Just, just kind of, I don't know, overkill, but there's nothing, there's nothing I consider overkill when you're trying to stop fire. So no, I don't they, think they, so either they'd come out for several years, you know, and done inspections and, you know, we've pulled belly pans and the caps in the spring and make sure everything's, you know, as clean as it can be. And after a couple of years, they started asking me if they could bring, you know, their, their seasonal help out, um, for that initial inspection. Um, and just kind of make, you know, like almost a training, uh, a training course out of it for the new, you know, seasonal hires. Right. And come out and kind of let them do like a mock inspection, write up paperwork, check pressures, you know, make sure your pumps are squirting what they should. And, and we, you know, we, we take pride in having great fire equipment 
and and they they noticed that and so they several years they've come out and you know brought five or six guys out to inspect us because they wanted to you know they wanted somebody that was willing to have them out on the job right for one you know a lot of times you see odf roll onto your job and it's like oh you know go make sure the batteries aren't dead in the fire truck or something (laughs) yeah you know i don't understand that uh logic i guess you could call it because it seems to me like at the end of the day regardless of anything else that fire equipment is what stands between you and unlimited liability if you were to start a fire yeah your your exposure you know is so huge and that's just you know when i was growing up my dad taught us kids that you pay your you pay your auto insurance and your your home insurance before you buy groceries. That was just, that was just how we were taught. You know, that you you don't go anywhere without insurance. And, and I'm probably, I I wouldn't say I'm overinsured, but you know, insurance only goes so far. Yeah. But we, you know, we, I'm always looking for another fire truck. I, I'm a philosophy. You can't, it doesn't matter if you've only got two or three guys working, you can't have enough water. You know, you can always scrape out another spot to park another fire truck, but that's just, that's, I think where you lose your, lose your ground on a fire is when, you know, you're, you're only required to have 500 gallons, you know, on a job and you, you get rid of 500 gallons and you have to go for more water. That's where you lose your ground on getting a fire stopped. Yeah. Especially if you don't have a line around it, by the time you run out of water, if it's got fuel to consume, it'll start running. Yeah, that's that's something we learned last year. I'm I'm of a mind now. I if I'm going to fight a fire, I'm probably not going to go for water. I'm going to go for something with a blade and get a line around it and just get it contained. Get get some dirt opened up to where it can't go anywhere, and then we're worried about you know getting water on it. But I I saw that firsthand. Yeah. With how much how much fire we fought, you know, we we fought fire for seven or eight days out of the Mohawk before any water was even needed. Right. Just taking the fuel away from the fire. Yep. Yeah. Just giving it somewhere where it, it could slow down and, or stop. So that little dozer is one of my favorite machines in the local area. You want to give us some details on the uh, Tyler Spunk special bulldozer? The D6? Yeah. What year is oh, it? That, it's a 78, so it's, it's a year older than I am. <laughs> and I, I found that up in Washington, and, and I bought it sight unseen other than the, other than the pictures on I don't know if I found it on Craigslist or Forestry Trader or something like that but the kid I bought it from they ran four or five of those had a couple of them scrapples on them had a couple of them with winches on them and um, I picked that one because it had brand new rails on it the, the pads weren't super duper but it had brand new salt rails on it and uh, that that added value to it for me and we just got it home and worked a little bit, let it make us a little bit of money. And I, uh, it was everything he said it was. He delivered it for me. Oh, wow. He brought it down from, it came out of Wenatchee. Gotcha. And he delivered it for me. And, and when he got it here, it was everything he said it was. So it wasn't like, you know, normal Craigslist. Yeah, you get it for, home and you got to put a new final on it. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we ran it for a little while and then, I, I took it over to Pape and, and they went through some stuff that I wanted to fix up on it. And, you know, there was 
uh, they ended up, they did go into a final. There was, there was some stuff uh, going on with, with a, a bearing or, or something on one of them. And they went into it and they didn't have to go very deep to correct it. And uh, we did the hard bar in the front end. And uh, I had, I had Pepe put on, uh, put new pads on those. The rails were like 90, 95%. And so I, I pulled them off and torched the pads off. And then we, we sent those uh, rails. Pepe sent them somewhere, and they, they had new pads put on them. Oh, wow. And so it's, it's got a really strong, strong undercarriage, and, and it's just one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite tractors to run. Uh, not a lot of those E6s have a full U-blade, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's like getting around a, a 7 or an 8, but not having to pay the pay the price to move it yeah right that's what i was kind of getting at that's like it's uh it seems like it's a unique machine because there's not a lot of those d6s left in that good of shape and yeah. i've never seen one with that full u-blade yep so yeah circo has another one that's almost a twin to it and those are the only two i've ever seen with a, a balderson u-blade but they're awful uh they're awful handy that's cool. I thought I figured out ask you about it because that's uh, like I said, it's one of my favorite dozers around. Yeah, we, uh, like, like I said, it's one of my favorite ones to climb on and and spend time on. I, I assure you, after after spending twelve days and eleven of it in the seat, I, I didn't care if I ran that thing for a year. <laughs> I don't really want to look at it for a minute. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, but we we just got it back from from Pape when the fire started and. And it was, uh, I had 100% total faith in that tractor and, uh, it, it worked every day. It did not give us one hiccup. All we did is blew the, blew the radiator and the air cleaner out and put fuel in it. And, and she worked every day. That's awesome. I just, uh, I feel like, uh, kind of one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast and you're a good guest because you guys were on that fire too. Um, is to kind of explain to Joe public and start the conversation about, you know, getting resources on some of these fires. Like I think, um, a lot of people don't understand that the local timber industry people like yourself and all these other contract loggers, like those are the guys that for the majority of the machine work and, you know, hauling water and stuff like those are the guys putting out these big fires. Like the forest service doesn't have 5,000 bulldozers sitting somewhere that they bring out. Like it's all local contractors doing this work. No. And, and I, I, you'll probably get somebody weighing in on this in the future, but the timber industry put the holiday farm fire out at the end of the day. That's what happened. I don't care what anybody else says. We put that fire out. Um, and my hat is off to all the hand crews that came in from out of state. We were working with one from North Dakota and one from uh, up out of Spokane. Awesome guys. Uh, you put all the machinery, local machinery, you know, I said the, the timber industry and the loggers of, of Lane County and the surrounding counties, we put that fire out. We could not have done it. Could not have done it without those hand crews. Those right. hand crews are the unsung hero. Um, I've been reading some stuff online about, you know, there's the, the private end of it is really underpaid. Oh. And I hope, 
I hope the government can get a handle on that before some of these guys that have fought fire, you know, on hand crews as a career just decide to go find another career because there's just not people that want to, that want to spend their whole summer away from their family, you know, fighting fire, breathing smoke, being in harm's way every day. And, uh, those hand crews, uh, we put that fire out, but we could not have done it without them. Right. But yeah, uh, it was, it was mind boggling the amount of iron that got thrown at that fire. I mean, there was, shoot, I think we had three or four high track D8 in the Mohawk and we were just a tiny little corner area of that fire. There was divisions all the way around it, you know, bunchers and, and, you know, it wasn't brand specific, you know, it was whatever showed up. It didn't care. Nobody cared what color the paint was. Nobody cared if it was Pape, Triad, Modern. Nobody cared if it started and had a good operator on it. We just, we got stuff done and, and it was really, it was really a, uh, the camaraderie that was built during that fire was, was unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, we, the forest service, I, I don't think we should even get into that. Yeah. That aspect of it. It, it, I mean, it, it's almost laughable. Some of the stuff that, uh, goes on when the fed is running a fire. Um, it's almost like, let's see how much, taxpayer money we can burn up and not put a fire out and i i am i'm not going to say i'm 100 percent this way but i i'm almost of a mind that if i got called out for a resource in the middle of nowhere on a fed fire i'd probably i'd probably opt out of it right if it, if it wasn't burning you know headed for oak ridge or you know headed for cottage grove um and people were going to lose their homes if it's out there and just going to burn up this poorly managed you know, fed timber. I just say, you guys can handle it yourself. I, I, I don't really want to play with that. Copy. Yeah. I, um, we don't have to get into that side of it. It's just, I just feel like there's a lot of misconceptions of where, you know, resources come from. Like you're saying the hand crews, you know, you can't just grab somebody off the side of the road and say, Hey, um, we want you to come fight fire for us. Like, those guys on those hand crews are very skilled and talented people at what they do with a lot of Absolutely. knowledge. And that's what keeps them safe is their knowledge and their training. Like I just, there just seems like so many mis- misunderstandings and, and misconceptions about the industry and about uh, wildland firefighting and how all this works. And I'm not an expert, but like I hope to try and, at least start these conversations and use this platform to do it. Yeah. Cause uh, well, like I, to go back, you know, when I said that ODF would come out and do my inspections, that's, that's what kind of got, you know, they asked me if I would be willing to sign my equipment up, you know, on resource list. And, and I started doing that. And then after being on a couple fires, um, a couple small fires up, up the McKenzie in the last two or three years, um, I saw what, you know, you don't just fight fires with cats and fire trucks, you know, and water, water trucks, you know, they need graders to open up roads, scrape grass off of roads. You know, if you can use a road as a, as a fire break and all you got to do is scrape the grass off of it and do that with a grader and, you know, you can move 20 miles an hour. Yeah. You're not doing two and a half miles an hour that you're doing an excavator. Like you're getting it done right now. So I, I've signed, uh, most all of my gear is signed up, um, for the fire, the water trucks and, 
and the dozers and, and grader excavator. I think I even have one of the shovels signed up. Yeah, I, it's just been a pretty hot topic and I've done a lot of my photography stuff has been up in the burn scar of the holiday farm fire. So I figured, you know, you spent, like you said, the time you did there. So I figured I would ask you about it and just kind of get your opinion. Cause I, I know that the industry people that I've talked to, your opinion is not far off from 90% of everyone else's about how all this has been working lately. So yeah, it's, um, you know, my dad's machine got caught in that Beachy Creek fire, and I don't want to get too far down a rabbit hole with this, but I'm hoping that maybe, you know, some rules or regulations can be changed on, you know, how differently different agencies attack, you know, fire starts and stuff like that, you know, when it comes to wilderness and not wilderness. And it's a whole lot, and I think we'll save most of that for another podcast episode. But um, Yeah, you you don't, you don't want me to, you don't want me to start weighing in on that. No. And I, I was talking to my dad about getting on here and he goes, Oh, I got it. I got a whole lot to say. And I'm like, well, I don't know if we need to get into that part of it or not. Well, you interview your dad on that topic. I'll stand behind him with a wet, with a wet washcloth and keep him cooled down. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's going to need to get him in an ice bath, man. Yeah. Cause, um, but I mean, everyone up on the San Diego County or San Diego Canyon's got the same feelings that he does about it. And so, but anyways, so what, the uh, surplus timber, where are you usually, you guys usually work out in Mohawk Valley. Mohawk and the McKenzie. Yep. Gotcha. And then the majority of the work that you do is just private. Yeah. Gotcha. And then, um, I guess, is there anything else that you want to add? Maybe like what you, uh, where you think the industry is going? Cause it's, the industry is changing, you know, as times change and it seems like the timber industry is still a hard work based industry, you know, where like you can't go out there every day, even if you're an equipment operator and just sit in the seat all day. So I guess yeah. what I'm asking you is, what do you think we need to do to help attract the next generation of loggers and foresters and, and people to work in this industry? I, I, that is the $64 question that every, every operator is looking for because nobody can find help and the help you do find, you know, you gotta, you gotta treat them with kid gloves because if they quit, you're just standing there with a machine, a payment, and nobody to run it or nobody to show up and perform a task. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. If I had a crystal ball, I'd love to give you a great answer. But, um, you know, my, my take is don't make, uh, don't make unemployment so easy. Yeah. You know, don't, don't make it, don't make it pay just, almost what you can make going out and, and working. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that got on that and they're like, shoot, I'm, I'm not making quite as much as what I made when I was working, but I'm making almost as much. And if I do a little, you know, if I watch my pennies and nickels, I can sit at home. And now that weed's legal, I can sit at home and smoke dope and, you know, do whatever, play my Xbox and, and I don't have to go work. And, and the government 
will take care of it. Well, the government's taking care of it with, with you and I's money and everybody right. else's money. And I, I, I suppose just, you know, unemployment is there for a reason. And it's a, it's a resource that needs to be, I think, better monitored and, and, and used responsibly. And, and it shouldn't be so easy uh, to, to take advantage of it. I definitely uh, can agree with you there because it seems like, and I know that it is there and the pe- people that use it, you know, not everyone's, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, not everyone on it is milking it, but it right. seems like that's become a lot more prevalent, prevalent. now. Yeah. yeah. So, but, um, yeah, and you know, attracting the younger generation, I, you know, there's going to be, have, there's going to have to be something, you know, where we, get into schools and career day type stuff and and tell these kids, you know, you, you like uh, playing video games or, you know, you like, you like doing this or that, you know, there's companies out there. You, you used to be, you, you didn't see a guy sitting in a shovel or a processor until he got to be 50 plus years old. Right. Uh, there's, there's operators are out there right now that if, if a kid graduated high school in June, they would put them in a machine tomorrow if they would if they would show up to work, pass a drug test, had a driver's license. They would train them and train them and operate as a processor or running shovel, whether it's loading trucks or shovel logging. You know, this tether this tether thing is, is really technical. Um, but you know, you get those adrenaline junkie kids that jump motorcycles and stuff. They'd probably eat that tether logging up. But, right, but just just trying to capture the younger generation and, you know, tell them, Hey, you guys go out here and, and they're going to pay you, you know, a, a darn good wage. And they're probably going to give you a pretty nice pickup to drive back and forth. Yep. Um, yeah. You're not going to get yeah. a brand new crummy when you're starting out, but I mean, they're going to pay to no, fix but, it. They're paying for the fuel. If it breaks down, it's on the company. Like, uh, yeah. And, and you get to, you get to, go out the woods. You're not, you're not driving downtown to, you know, a warehouse where you're surrounded by concrete walls all day and don't get to see sunshine except on your lunch break. You know, you're out in the woods, you get to see the, you know, you get to see the four seasons. You get to see the, the deer and the elk and the cougar run across in front of you in the middle of the night when you're headed to work. You know, it's, it's, it's not all roses. You know, you get up at two o'clock in the morning and just, to go to work, you know, but you're off at one or two in the afternoon or whatever. And I mean, it, it, it definitely takes the right person to fill that, but I'm sure there's, I'm sure those people are out there and, you know, it's an honest, it's an honest industry. Oh, I agree. And, uh, and it's a, it's an industry I'm proud to be a part of. Well, but, and you also, you know, it, it's not, it's not just the equipment operators. It's, it's right down to the, you know, the foresters and, and, you know, all, all the way up, you know, it, it takes a forester to lay a, lay a unit out or a, a forest engineer to lay out the road system. And, you know, before the guys can go in and cut the right away and the guy can go in and log the right away and you build the road. And, you know, there's a lot of steps before the, 
the timber starts hitting the ground and then go into the mill. Yep. And, and I'm not sure a lot of people understand that if I, if I had it to go back and do all over again, I would, I would get into the college of forestry and, and I would love to be a, a forest engineer or, you know, laying out roads, laying out units. Uh, th- that is where I wish I would have went, but I didn't. Right. I just, there's a lot to it. And I don't think that people think about that. They just see a log truck going down the road and they think, oh, these big corporations are out here trying to make a quick buck. When that load of logs could have come from your landing, someone who cares about the land, you hunt, you fish, you spend a lot of time out in the woods. You, you know, the areas you're logging are where you grew up and where your kids are going to grow up. Exactly. You don't want to ruin that for them. I'm logging for people that are, that are, uh, you know, the same kind of people as I am, you know, they're small timber owners. They have some cows, they have some timber. They, you know, they diversified into, you know, growing other crops. And, and there's a couple of them that have, since I've worked for them, they have, they have started to hand the reins over to the next generation. And so I'm working with, with people that are more my age or even, even younger as far as the next generation. And, you know, we, we want to make sure we keep that going. Yeah, that's, well, besides the fact that I really think you're a great dude, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast as one of the first guests because you kind of fit perfectly into the story that I'm trying to tell and show to people that, you know, people out in the woods, they're not just, it's not rape, pillage and plunder and run like it was in 1902. Like most timber operators now today, foresters, engineers, like you're saying, you know, heavy equipment operators, even, you know, the guys that set chokers or pull rigging, these guys are all in the woods because that's where they love to be. And, you know, the timber industry basically is the biggest steward to the land out of anyone around. And actually actively managing the forests for forest health and for production. But like production of trees, it doesn't get put above um, wildlife habitat or anything like that. Anything, anywhere I've seen, like (laughs) some of the best places to see wildlife are up on these private timberlands because they're managed correctly. Absolutely. So I just, um, I appreciate you having coming on here today, Tyler. And um, maybe in a few months we'll have you back on, dive into some of this other stuff. Um, but I guess is, is there anything else that I <laughs> forgot to ask you about? Nope. I I don't know. <laughs> well, you know more than I do. I I'm not I am not uh, I'm not privy to these podcasts. <laughs> copy well you have to listen to at least this one. Oh, i will yeah i mean i've listened to joe rogan joe rogan's and you know they're they get pretty uh they get pretty heated I, i'm sure we could pick some topics and we could get all heated about it oh i'm sure we could i know there's some topics we could get a two or three hour podcast on here that's like making oh, everyone yeah. sweat about it but i don't know if i want to yeah. get i don't know if i want to get into that yet get your old man and couple other couple other guys and we'll have one about kate brown or something cool like that (laughs) 
I, you know, I might have to do that one of these days. I'll get an extra couple of microphones and we'll go have it in person with a bottle of whiskey. Yeah. For at least a pitcher of beer. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I probably. guess, um, we'll Even leave off. With, what's that? Oh, a pinata. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to get in contact with you, where's the best place to find you on Instagram? Uh, Instagram or circle us timber at yahoo.com. Copy that. Tyler, I appreciate you. I'll, uh, we'll just roll this outro and then I'll get back with you. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, buddy. You bet.